Shakespeare on Air presents Episode 2 of Hal, the story of Harry of Monmouth, Prince of Wales, later King Henry V. This episode is brought to you by a generous donation from John Congleton. For best results, we encourage you to listen to Hal and all Shakespeare on Air radio plays with headphones. Enjoy. Lords, give us leave. The Prince of Wales and I must have some private conference, but be near at hand, for we shall presently have need of you. I know not whether God will have it so, for some displeasing service I have done, that in his secret doom, out of my blood, he'll breed revengement and a scourge for me. But thou dost... In thy passages of life make me believe that thou art only marked for the hot vengeance and the rod of heaven to punish my mistreadings. Tell me else, could such inordinate and low desires, such poor, such bare, such lewd, such mean attempts, such barren pleasures, rude society, as thou art matched withal and grafted to, accompany the greatness of thy blood and hold their level with thy princely heart? So please, your majesty, I would I could quit all offences with as clear excuse, as well as I am doubtless I can purge myself of many I am charged with all. Yet such extenuation let me beg, as in reproof of many tales devised, which oft the ear of greatness needs must hear, by smiling pick-thanks and base newsmongers, I may, for some things true, wherein my youth hath faulty wandered and irregular, find pardon on my true submission? God pardon thee. Yet let me wonder, Harry, at thy affections, which do hold a wing quite from the flight of all thy ancestors. Thy place in council thou hast rudely lost, which by thy younger brother is supplied, and art almost an alien to the hearts of all the court and princes of my blood. The hope and expectation of thy time is ruined, and the soul of every man prophetically doth forethink thy fall. Had I so lavish of my presence been, so common hackneyed in the eyes of men, so stale and cheap to vulgar company, opinion that did help me to the crown, had still kept loyal to possession, and left me in reputeless banishment, a fellow of no mark nor likelihood. By being seldom seen, I could not stir, but like a comet I was wondered at, that men would tell their children, this is he. Others would say, where? Which is Bolingbroke? And then I stole all courtesy from heaven, and dressed myself in such humility that I did pluck allegiance from men's hearts, loud shouts and salutations from their mouths, even in the presence of the crowned king, the skipping king. He ambled up and down with shallow gestures and rash baven wits, soon kindled and soon burnt, carded his state, mingled his royalty with capering fools, grew a companion to the common streets, infoffed himself to popularity, that being daily swallowed by men's eyes, they surfeited with honey and began to loathe the taste of sweetness, whereof a little more than a little is by much too much, being with his presence glutted, gorged, and full. 
And in that very line, Harry, standst thou, for thou hast lost thy princely privilege with vile participation. Not an eye, but is a-weary of thy common sight, save mine, which hath desired to see thee more. Which now doth that I would not have it do, make blind itself with foolish tenderness. I shall hereafter, my thrice gracious lord, be more myself. For all the world as thou art to this hour was richer then, when I from France set footed Ravenspur. And even as I was then, is Percy now. Now by my scepter and my soul to boot, he hath more worthy interest to the state than thou, the shadow of succession. For of no right, nor color like to right, he doth fill fields with harness in the realm, turns head against the lion's armed jaws, and being no more in debt to years than thou, leads ancient lords and reverend bishops on to bloody battles and to bruising arms. And what say you to this? Percy, Northumberland, the Archbishop's Grace of York, Douglas, Mortimer, capitulate against us and are up. But wherefore do I tell these news to thee? Why, Harry, do I tell thee of my foes, which art my nearest and dearest enemy? Thou that art like enough, through vassal fear, base inclination, and the start of spleen to fight against me under Percy's pay, to dog his heels and curtsy at his frowns, to show how much thou art degenerate. Do not think so. You shall not find it so. And God forgive them that so much have swayed your majesty's good thoughts away from me. I will redeem all this on Percy's head, and in the closing of some glorious day, be bold to tell you that I am your son. When I will wear a garment all of blood, and stain my favors in a bloody mask, which washed away shall scour my shame with it. And that shall be the day, whene'er it lights, that this same child of honor and renown, this gallant hotspur, this all-praised knight, and your unthought-of Harry chance to meet. For every honor sitting on his helm, would they were multitudes, and on my head my shame's redoubled. For the time will come that I shall make this northern youth exchange his glorious deeds for my indignities. Percy is but my factor, good my lord, to engross up glorious deeds on my behalf. And I will call him to so strict account that he shall render every glory up. Yea, even the slightest worship of his time, or I will tear the reckoning from his heart. This, in the name of God, I promise here, the which, if he be pleased, I shall perform. I do beseech your majesty may salve the long-grown wounds of my intemperance. If not, the end of life cancels all bands, and I will die a hundred thousand deaths ere break the smallest parcel of this vow. A hundred thousand rebels die in this. Thou shalt have charge and sovereign trust herein. How now, good Blunt? Thy looks are full of speed. So hath the business that I come to speak of. Lord Mortimer of Scotland hath sent word that Douglas and the English rebels met the eleventh of this month at Shrewsbury. A mighty and a fearful head they are, if promises be kept on every hand, as ever offered foul play in the state. The Earl of Westmoreland set forth today, with him my son, Lord John of Lancaster, for this advertisement is five days old. On Wednesday next, Harry, you shall set forward. On Thursday, we ourselves will march. Our meeting is Bridge North, and Harry, you shall march through Gloucestershire. 
By which account, our business valued some twelve days hence, our general forces at Bridge North shall meet. Our hands are full of business. Let's away. Advantage feeds him fat while men delay. Promises are fair, the parties sure, and our induction full of prosperous hope. Lord Mortimer and Cousin Glendower, w will you sit down? And Uncle Worcester, a plague upon it, I forgot the map. No, here it is. Sit, Cousin Percy, sit, good Cousin Hotspur, for by that name, as oft as Lancaster doth speak of you, his cheek looks pale, and with a rising sigh he wisheth you in heaven. And you in hell, as oft he hears Owen Glendower spoke of. I cannot blame him. At my nativity, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes, of burning cressets, and at my birth, the frame and huge foundation of the earth shakes like a coward. Why, so it would have done at the same season if your mother's cat had but kittened, though yourself had never been born. I say the earth did shake when I was born. And I say the earth was not of my mind if you suppose as fearing you it shook. The heavens were all on fire. The earth did tremble. Oh, then the earth shook to see the heavens on fire and not in fear of your nativity. Diseased nature oftentimes breaks forth in strange eruptions. Oft the teeming earth is with a kind of colic, pinched and vexed by the imprisoning of unruly wind within her womb, which, for enlargement striving, shakes the old beldam earth and topples down steeples and moss-grown towers. At your birth, our grandam earth, having this distemperature, in passion shook. Cousin, of many men I do not bear these crossings. Give me leave to tell you once again that at my birth, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes. The goats ran from the mountains, and the herds were strangely clamorous to the frighted fields. These signs have marked me extraordinary, and all the courses of my life do show I am not in the role of common men. Where is he living? clipped in with the sea that chides the banks of England, Scotland, Wales, which calls me pupil, or hath read to me. And bring him out that is but woman's son, can trace me in the tedious ways of art, and hold me pace in deep experiments. I think there's no man speaks better Welsh. I'll to dinner. Peace, cousin Percy, you will make him mad. I can call spirits from the vasty deep. Why so can I? Or so can any man. But will they come when you do call for them? Why, I can teach you, cousin, to command the devil. And I can teach thee, cause, to shame the devil by telling truth. Tell truth and shame the devil! <laughs> if thou have power to raise him, bring him hither. And I'll be sworn I have power to shame him hence. Oh, while you live, tell truth and shame the devil! Come. Come, no more of this unprofitable chat. Three times hath Henry Bolingbroke made head against my power. Thrice from the banks of Wye and Sandy Bottom Severn have I sent him bootless home and weather-beaten back. 
home without boots and in foul weather too? How scapes he agues in the devil's name? Come, here's the map. Shall we divide our right according to our threefold order ten? The archdeacon hath divided it into three limits very equally. England, from Trent and Severn hitherto by south and east, is to my part assigned. All westward, Wales, beyond the Severn shore, and all the fertile land within that bound, to Owen Glendower. And, dear cuz, to you the remnant northward, lying off from Trent. Tomorrow, Cousin Percy, you and I and my good lord of Worcester, we'll set forth to meet your father and the Scottish power, as is appointed us at Shrewsbury. My father, Glendower, is not ready yet, nor shall we need his help these fourteen days. A shorter time shall send me to you, lords, and in my conduct shall your ladies come, from whom you now must steal and take no leave, for there will be a world of watershed upon the parting of your wives and you. Methinks my moiety north from Burton here in quantity equals not one of yours. See how this river comes me cranking in? and cuts me from the best of all my land a huge half-moon, a monstrous cantle out. I'll have the current in this place dammed up, and here the smug and silver Trent shall run in a new channel, fair and evenly. It shall not wind with such a deep indent to rob me of so rich a bottom here. Not wind? It shall, it must, you see it doth. Yea, but... A little charge will trench him here, and on this north side win this cape of land. And then he runs straight and even. I'll have it so. A little charge will do it. I'll not have it altered. Will not you? No, nor you shall not. Who shall say me nay? Why, that will I. Let me not understand you then. Speak it in Welsh. I can speak English, Lord, as well as you. For I was trained up in the English court, where, being but young, I... Framed to the harp, many an English ditty lovely well, and gave the tongue a helpful ornament. A virtue that was never seen in you. Mary, and I am glad of it with all my heart. I had rather be a kitten and cry mew than one of these same meter ballad mongers. I had rather hear a brazen canstick turned, or a dry wheel grate on the axle tree. And that would set my teeth nothing on edge. Nothing so much as mincing poetry. Tis like the forced gait of a shuffling nag. Come, you shall have Trent turn. I do not care. I'll give thrice so much land to any well-deserving friend. But in the way of bargain, mark ye me. I'll cavil on the ninth part of a hair. Are the indentures drawn? Shall we be gone? The moon shines fair. You may away by night. I'll haste the writer and withal break with your wives of your departure hence. I'm afraid my daughter will run mad, so much she doteth on her Mortimer. Fie, cousin Percy, how you cross my father! I cannot choose. Sometimes he angers me with telling me of the Moldwarp and the ant, of the dreamer Merlin and his prophecies, and of a dragon and a finless fish, a clip-winged griffin and a molten raven, a couching lion and a ramping cat. And such a deal of skimble-scamble stuff as puts me from my faith. I tell you what, he held me last night at least nine hours in reckoning up the several devil's names that were his lackeys. I cried, hmm, and well, go to, but marked him not a word. Oh, he is as tedious as a tired horse, a railing wife, worse than a smoky house. I had rather live with cheese and garlic in a windmill, far 
than feed on Cates and have him talk to me in any summer house in Christendom. In faith, he is a worthy gentleman, exceedingly well-read, and profited in strange concealments, valiant as a lion, and as wondrous affable and as bountiful as mines of India. Shall I tell you, cousin, he holds your temper in a high respect and curbs himself even of his natural scope when you come across his humor. Faith, he does. I warrant you, that man is not alive, might so as tempted him as you have done, without the taste of danger and reproof. But do not use it oft. Let me entreat you. In faith, my lord, you are too willful blame, and since your coming hither have done enough to put him quite beside his patience. You must needs learn, lord, to amend this fault, though sometimes it show greatness, courage, blood, and that's the dearest grace it renders you, yet oftentimes it doth present harsh rage, defective manners, want of government, pride, haughtiness, opinion, and disdain, the least of which, haunting a nobleman, loseth men's hearts and leaves behind a stain upon the beauty of all parts besides, beguiling them of commendation. Well, I am schooled. Good manners be your speed. Here come our wives. Let us take our leave. This is the deadly spite that angers me. My wife can speak no English, I no Welsh. My daughter weeps. She will not part with you. She'll be a soldier too, she'll to the wars. Good father, tell her that she and my Aunt Percy shall follow in your conduct speedily. Bithyra Gural, Vermech, Ke dilin un vanovali gadath vodrib passi, abian yalm aqueli de vortimer an wileto. On my nahala and brona tori, we were na wella of mohonombai. Over nahad guidewick in a von gadagev, ni doth arnav oen unsure. Na, na, ni tre iraget you reveloit venienethi. Chrydithi aros chanlin gudami. Ni galaf aros hebtho. Man rhyd i ni gael mynd a caeth. Nebfu ar bed She is desperate here. A peevish, self-wined harlotry. One that no persuasion can do good upon. O vnachalan paidem gadel. In idem ni andai. As oes rhyd i ti fynd dof gaidadhi. Ni doeth ar ofen merki villor ov. I understand thy looks, that pretty Welsh which thou pourest down from these swelling heavens, I am too perfect in, and but for shame in such a parley should I answer thee. Nay, if you melt, then will she run mad. Sith van oilid i thoven vathagaid, a gwel andint i aeth vunagaulon, i aeth keriad you, keriad sinith logosim bron. I understand thy kisses, and thou mine. And that's a feeling disputation. But I will never be a truant love till I've learned thy language, for thy tongue makes Welsh as sweet as ditties highly penned, sung by a fair queen in a summer's bower, with ravishing division to her lute. Gorfwys vainoili dama ar ubron, adod de ben an eismuth of agnagal, vegan af itirgan, agerast kint, sin hidu koska herieth on thy hole. Ke una thefran haun onert, i harioth elin aduvrek at vrau. Sin hidu koska herieth on thy hole. Ke una thefran haun onert, 
y Harriot Elgin a Duvrek at Vrao. I am ignorance itself in this. She bid you on the wanton rushes lay you down and rest your gentle head upon her lap, and she will sing the song that pleaseth you, and on your eyelids crown the god of sleep, charming your blood with pleasing heaviness, making such difference twixt wake and sleep as is the difference betwixt day and night. The hour before the heavenly harness team begins his golden progress in the east. With all my heart, I'll sit and hear her sing. By that time will our book, I think, be drawn. Do so, and those musicians that shall play to you hang in the air a thousand leagues from hence, and straight they shall be here. Sit and attend. Come, Kate, thou art perfect in lying down. Come, quick, quick, that I may lay my head in thy lap. Go, you giddy goose. Now I perceive the devil understands Welsh, and tis no marvel he is so humorous. By Our Lady, he is a good musician. Then should you be nothing but musical, for you are altogether governed by humors. Lie still, ye thief, and hear the lady sing in Welsh. I'd rather hear Lady, my brach, howl in Irish. Wouldst thou have thy head broken? No. Then be still. Neither. Tis a woman's fault. Oh, now God help thee. To the Welsh lady's bed. What's that? Peace, she sings. Come, Kate, I'll have your song, too. Not mine, in good sooth. Not yours, in good sooth. Heart, you swear like a comfort maker's wife. Not you, in good sooth. As true as I live, as sure as day. <laughs> swear me, Kate, like a lady, as thou art. A good, mouth-filling oath. And leave, in sooth, and such protest of peppered gingerbread to velvet guards and Sunday citizens. Come, sing. I will not sing. And the indentures be drawn all the way within these two hours. And so, come in when ye will. Come. <laughs> Bardolf, am I not fallen away vilely since this last action? Do I not bait? Do I not dwindle? Why, my skin hangs about me like an old lady's loose gown. I am withered like an old Applejohn. Well, I'll repent, and that suddenly, while I am in some liking. I shall be out of heart shortly, and then I shall have no strength to repent. And I have not forgotten what the inside of a church is made of. I am a peppercorn, a brewer's horse. The inside of a church! Company, villainous company, hath been the spoil of me. Sir John, you are so fretful, you cannot live long. Why, there is it. Come, sing me a body song, make me merry. I was as virtuously given as a gentleman need to be. Virtuous enough, swore little, diced not above seven times a week, went to a body house once in a quarter of an hour, paid money that I borrowed three of four times lived well and in good compass. And now I live out of all order, out of all compass. Why, you are so fat, Sir John, that you must needs be out of all compass. Out of all reasonable compass, Sir John. <laughs> do, do, do thou amend thy face 
and I'll amend my life. How now, Mistress Quickly, the hen? Have you inquired yet who picked my pocket? Why, Sir John, what do you think, Sir John? Do you think I keep thieves in my house? I have searched, I've inquired, so is my husband, man by man, boy by boy, servant by servant. The tithe of an heir was never lost in my house before. Ye lie, hostess. Bardolph was shaved and lost many a hair, and I'll be sworn my pocket was picked. Go to, you are a woman, go. Who I? No, I defy thee, God's light. I was never called so in mine own house before. Go to, I know you well enough. No, Sir John, you do not know me, Sir John. I know you, Sir John. You owe me money, Sir John, and now you pick a quarrel to beguile me of it. You owe me money here, Sir John, for your diet and buy drinkings and money lent you. Four and twenty pounds. He had his part of it. Let him pay. He? Alas, he is poor. He hath nothing. I'll not pay a denier. What, what, shall I take mine case in mine inn, but I shall have my pocket picked? I have lost a seal ring of my grandfather's, worth forty mark. Oh, Jesu, I've heard the prince tell him, I know not how oft, that ring was copper. How? The prince is a jack, a sneak cup, splud, and he were here, I would cudgel him like a dog, if he would say so. How now, lad? Is the wind in that door, if faith? Must we all march? My lord, I pray you, hear me. What sayest thou, mistress, quickly? How doth thy husband? I love him well. He is an honest man. Good, my lord, hear me. Prithee, let her alone and list to me. What sayest thou, Jack? The other night I fell asleep here behind the heiress and had my pocket picked. This house is turned body house. They pick pockets. What didst thou lose, Jack? Wilt, wilt thou believe me, Hal? Three or four bonds of forty pound apiece, and a seal ring of my grandfather's. A trifle, some eight penny matter. So I told him, my lord, and I said, I heard your grace say so, and my lord, he speaks most vilely of you, like a foul-mouthed man as he is, and said he would cudgel you. What? He did not. There's neither faith, truth, nor womanhood in me else. There's no more faith in thee than in a stewed prune, nor no more truth in thee than in a drawn fox, and for womanhood. <laughs> Maid Marian may be the deputy's wife of the ward to thee. Go, you beast, go. Say, what beast, thou knave, thou? What beast? Why, uh, an otter. An otter, Sir John, why an otter? Why, she's neither fish nor flesh. A man knows not where to have her. Thou art an unjust man in saying so. Thou or any man knows where to have me, thou knave, thou. Thou sayest true, hostess, and he slanders thee most grossly. So he doth you, my lord. He called you Jack, and said he would cudgel you. Did I, Bardolph? Indeed, Sir John, you said so. Yea, if if he said my ring was copper. I say tis copper. Darest thou be as good as thy word now? Why, how thou knowest, as thou art but man, I dare. But as thou art prince, I fear thee as I fear the roaring of a lion's whelp. And why not as the lion? The king is to be feared as the lion. Dost thou think I'll fear thee as I fear thy father? Nay, and I do. I pray God my girdle break. Oh, if it should, how would thy guts fall about thy knees? But, Sirrah, there's no room for faith, truth, nor honesty in this bosom of thine. It is all filled up with guts and midriff. Charge an honest woman with picking thy pocket. Why, thou horse and impudent embossed rascal, if there were anything in thy pocket but tavern reckonings, memorandums of bawdy houses, and one poor pennyworth of sugar candy to make thee long-winded, I am a villain, 
And yet you will stand to it. You will not pock it up wrong. Art thou ashamed? Dost thou hear, Hal? Thou knowest in the state of innocency Adam fell. And what should poor Jack Falstaff do in the days of villainy? Thou seest I have more flesh than another man, and therefore more frailty. You confess, then, you picked my pocket. It appears so by the story. Hostess, I forgive thee. Go, make ready breakfast, love thy husband, look to thy servants, cherish thy guests. Thou shalt find me tractable to any honest reason. Thou seest I am pacified still. Nay, prithee, be gone. Now, how? To the news at the court. For the robbery, lad. How is that answered? Oh, my sweet beef, I must still be good angel to thee. The money is paid back again. Oh, I do not like that paying back. It is a double labor. I am good friends with my father, and I have procured thee, Jack, a charge of foot. Uh, I would have been of horse. Where shall I find one that can steal well? Oh, for a fine thief of the age of two and twenty or thereabouts, I am heinously unprovided. Jack, meet me tomorrow in the temple hall at two o'clock in the afternoon. There shalt thou know thy charge, and there receive money and order for their furniture. The land is burning, Percy stands on high, and either we or they must lower lie. Good morrow, honest gentlemen. I beseech you, which is just as shallow? I am Robert Shallow, sir, a poor esquire of this county and one of the king's justices of the peace. What is your good pleasure with me? My captain, sir, commends him to you. My captain, Sir John Falstaff, a tall gentleman by heaven and a most gallant leader. Oh, he greets me well, sir. I knew him a great back sword man. How doth the good eye... <gasps> Look... Here comes good Sir John. Give me your good hand. Give me your worship's good hand. By my troth, you like well and bear your years very well. Welcome, good Sir John. I am glad to see you well, good Master Robert Shallow. Fie! This is hot weather, gentlemen. Have you provided me here half a dozen sufficient men? Mary, we have, sir. Will you sit? Let me see them, I beseech you. Where's the road? Where's the road? Where's the road? Let me see, let me see, let me see. So, so, yea, Mary, sir, Ralph Moldy. Let them appear as I call. Let them do so, let them do so. Let me see. Where is Moldy? Uh, here, and to please you. What think you, Sir John? A good-limbed fellow, young, strong, and of good friends. Is thy name Moldy? Yea, and please you. Tis the more time thou wert used. <laughs> ha! 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 Most excellent if faith things that are moldy lack use. Very singular good if faith well said, Sir John. Very well said. Prick him. I was pricked well enough before, and you could have left me alone. My old dame will be undone now for one to do her husbandry and her 
drudgery. You need not to have pricked me. There are other men fitter to go out than I. Go to peace, Moldy. You shall go. Moldy it is. Peace, fellow. Peace. Stand aside. For the other, Sir John Thomas Wart. Where is he? Here, sir. Thou art a very ragged wart. Uh, shall I prick him down, Sir John? It were superfluous, for his apparel is built upon his back, and the whole frame stands upon pins. Prick him no more. Ha! 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 You can do it, sir! You can do it! I commend you well! Francis Feeble! Here, sir. What trade art thou, Feeble? A woman's tailor, sir. Shall I prick him, sir? You may. But if he had been a man's tailor, he'd have pricked you. (laughs) Wilt thou make as many holes in an enemy's battle as thou hast done in a woman's petticoat? I will do my good will, sir. You can have no more. Well said, good woman's tailor. Well said, courageous feeble. Thou wilt be as valiant as the wrathful dove. Or most magnanimous mouse. Prick the woman's tailor well, Master Shallow. Deep. Master Shallow. I would wart might have gone, sir. I would thou wert a man's tailor, that thou mightst mend him and make him fit to go. I cannot put him to a private soldier that is the leader of so many thousands. Let that suffice, most forcible feeble. Who is next? Ah, Peter Bullcalf. Yay, Mary, let's see Bullcalf. Here, sir. For God, a likely fellow. Come, prick me bullcalf till he roar again. Oh, Lord, good my lord, Captain. What? Dost thou roar before thou art pricked? Oh, Lord, sir, I am a diseased man. What disease hast thou? Uh, horse and cold, sir. Uh, cough. Uh, cough, sir. Which I caught with ringing in the king's affairs upon his coronation day, sir. Come, thou shalt go to the wars in a gown. We will have away thy cold, and I will take such order that my friends shall ring for thee. Is here all? Here is two more cold than your number. You must have but two here, <laughs> sir. And so, I pray you, go in with me to dinner. Come, I, I will go drink with you, but I cannot tarry dinner. Oh. I am glad to see you, by my troth, Master Shallow. Oh, Sir John, do you remember since we lay all night in the windmill at St. George's Field? No, no more of that, good Master Shallow, no more of that. What was a merry night, ha, huh, that thou had seen that that this night and I have seen. We have heard the chimes at midnight, Master Shallow. That we have, that we have, that we have. In faith, Sir John, we have. Our watchword was him, boys. Come, let's to dinner, come, let's to dinner. Jesus, the days that we have seen. Come, come. Good Master Corporate Bardolph, stand, my friend. And here's four hairy ten shillings in French crowns for you. In very truth, sir, I had as lief be hanged, sir, as go. Go to, stand aside. And good master corporal captain, for my old dame's sake, stand my friend. She has nobody to do anything about her when I am gone, and she is old and cannot help herself. You shall have forty, sir. Go to, stand aside. Come, sir. Which men shall I have? Two of which you please. Sir, a word with you. 
I have three pound to free Moldy and Bulgaf. Go to, well. Come, Sir John, which two will you have? Moldy and Bullcalf. For you, Moldy, stay at home till you are past service. And for your part, Bullcalf, grow till you come unto it. I will none of you. Sir John, Sir John, you do yourself wrong. They are your likeliest men, and I would have you served with the best. Will you tell me, Master Shallow, how to choose a man? Care I for the limb, the thews, the stature, bulk, and big assemblance of a man? Give me the spirit, Master Shallow. Here's Wart. You see what a ragged appearance it is. He shall charge you and discharge you with the motion of a pewterer's hammer. And for a retreat, how swiftly will this feeble the woman's tailor run off? (laughs) Oh, give me the spare men and spare me the great ones. Put me a caliver into Wart's hand, Bardolph. Hold, Wart, traverse, thus, thus, thus. Come, manage me your caliver. So, very well, go to, very good, exceeding good. Oh, give me always a little lean old chap bald shot. Very well said, in faith. Wart, thou art a good scab. He is not his craft's master. He doth not do it right. <gasps> I remember it. Violin green. When I lay at Clement's end, there was a little quiver fellow, and would have managed you his piece thus, and would These fellows will do well, Master Shallow. Fare you well, gentlemen. I thank you. I must a dozen mile tonight. Bardolph, give the soldiers coats. Sir John, the Lord bless you. God prosper your affairs. God Send us peace. At your return, visit our house. Let our old acquaintance be renewed. Very well, gentle gentlemen. On, Bardolph. Lead the men away. As I return, I will fetch off this justice. I do see the bottom of justice shallow. Lord, Lord, how subject we old men are to this vice of lying. This same starved justice hath done nothing but prate to me of the wildness of his youth and the feats he hath done about Turnbull Street, and every third word a lie. I do remember him at Clement's Inn. When he was naked, he was, for all the world, like a forked radish with a head fantastically carved upon it with a knife. He was so forlorn. He was the very genius of famine, yet lecherous as a monkey. And the horse called him Mandrake. It came ever in the rearward of the fashion. And now is this vice's dagger become a squire? The case of a treble hot boy was a mansion for him, a court. And now he has land and beefs. Well, I'll be acquainted with him if I return. How now, blown Jack? How now, Quilt? <laughs> what hell? How now, mad wag? What a devil dost thou do in Warwickshire? My good lord of Westmoreland, I cry you mercy. I thought your honor had already been at Shrewsbury. Faith, Sir John, tis more than time that I were there, and you too. But my powers are there already. The king, I can tell you, looks for us all. We must away all night. Tut, never fear me. I am as vigilant as a cat to steal cream. I think to steal cream indeed, for thy theft hath already made thee butter. But tell me, Jack, whose fellows are these that come after? Mine, Hal. 
mine. I did never see such pitiful rascals. Tut, tut, good enough to toss. Food for powder, food for powder. They'll fill a pit as well as better. Tush, man, mortal men, mortal men. Aye, but Sir John, methinks they are exceeding poor and bare, too beggarly. Faith, for their poverty, I know not where they had that. And for their bareness, I am sure they never learned that of me. No, I'll be sworn, unless you call three fingers on the ribs bare. But, Sirrah, make haste. Percy is already in the field. What, is the king encamped? He is, Sir John. I fear we shall stay too long. Well, to the latter end of a fray and the beginning of a feast fits a dull fighter and a keen guest. is a production of Shakespeare on Air, adapted from the writings of William Shakespeare and created by Susan Araslin. Episode 2 features, in order of appearance, the voices of Andrew Hutchison, Ben Mann, Sarah Eisman, Nico Auger, Jefferson Reardon, Joe Rake, Anna Robinson, Aubrey Saverino, Eric Pargotch, Danielle O'Farrell, and Thomas Strickland, with music by Felix Mendelssohn, Christoph Penderecki, and William Grant Still. Special thanks to Philip Davies for helping us with the Welsh pronunciation. I hope we didn't butcher it. Want to help us make more and better radio plays? Visit shakespeareonair.com and click donate at the top of the page. Everyone who donates before April 21st, 2016 will get a special shout out on air on our next episode. To find out more about us, visit our website. That address again is shakespeareonair.com.